You're listening to the No Name Photo Show. It's not spouse approved. It may or may not be safe for work. We'll see. And now here's your host, Brian Matias, and me, Sharky James. So, Brian, here we are, episode 38. We have Octotrision toppled, our episode output. Remember Octomom, by the way? Oh, my God. I, I just, until you said that, I could, and I really am upset that you had to bring that back into my mind. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Anyways, what do you have to tell us? Do you you moved? You want yes. to get that out of the way? You didn't move to the Grand Tetons because that, I don't think that's really possible. Wow, Sharky. You're not going to shack up in the, on Mormon Row. I don't think that you can do that. No, it's a public land. I don't think anyone's shacking up anyway over there. But mm. no, we did. We, we, we have successfully moved to Portland. I'm in my new office, which is currently kind of a mess. But first thing I did was get the computer and the audio gear set up so that we can start recording episodes for our wonderful listeners. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh, it's good. It's good to be back in Portland. We had brunch today at one of our favorite places. It's, it's, you know, slowly we're starting to fully realize that we're back in our where we belong. Portland is a weird in a good way place. What's what's that saying? Keep it weird, Portland, or something like that. Keep Portland weird, and there's also like uh, you know Austin, Texas, where there's keep Austin weird. It's kind of like sister cities. Wow, are they twins? I don't know. All right, go ahead. So, anyways, get us into today's show. What do we got coming up? Sure. So, two topics today, Sharky. First one. All right. So, I saw this one uh, a few weeks ago, and I wanted to talk about it, and it's about. Uh, it's a Petapixel article that uh, was spawned off of a Business Insider feature on Jeff Merlstein, who's a New York City-based street photographer. And the whole thing about uh, this guy, Jeff, is uh, he takes photos of, not of people, you know, like we are used to with street photography, but of people's actual text messages. So if you're, God, you know, Shark, you walk around, you go to a coffee shop or in New York, if you're in the subway, everyone's on their phones. And they're usually messaging with each other. So he actually takes photos of their messages. So we'll talk about that. That's the first story. Second one is now we're going to delve into uh, kind of the future technologies, specifically with AI or artificial intelligence. And Huawei, a massive Chinese mobile phone uh, manufacturer, uh, launched a photo contest where it's co-judged by its phone AI. So we'll talk about that. AI is doing everything these days. If we can get AI to do this show, oh, think of the hours we would have back. It'd be amazing you know, and probably better. It's You <laughs> know, that's actually not a, a terrible thought and something we, you know, I want to save for that section. But with that, Sharky, let, let's start with this first story. All right. So we've got Jeff Mermelstein, like I mentioned, very, very highly respected photographer. Don't get me wrong. This guy is not like a slouch. He is... Uh, he's on the uh, faculty at the International Center of Photography in New York. He's been doing this for many, many years. Uh, he has a lot of people who he's inspired, and he's he is a great photographer. But here's the thing, and honestly, I didn't notice this until Petapixel covered it uh, when Business Insider ran their story. But the the point is that you know he's taking these photos of. And you can see if you look at the photos, and again, we will share this uh, these in the show notes at nonamephotoshow.com. But it's these tight shots. And you, when you look at them, you can see that they're really kind of blown up. They're kind of somewhat pixelated because of how much of the zoom, whether it's digital zoom or just kind of cropping in that uh, he's doing. But it's a tight shot of a phone and you can see the, the whatever messages are in there. So before I, I jump in, Sharky, I want to get your take in terms of what do you do you think this is street photography taking photos of someone's private messages? 
Probably. I mean, who decides what street photography and, and what's not? I think it is. Is it acceptable to do? I don't know. See, again, I used to be a photojournalist, so I could shoot whatever the heck I darn wanted to in public. And people would give me crap about it. You know, whether you were photographing children, they thought you were weird, even though you're with the newspaper, or you were just, you know, photographing them. And they're like, well, I didn't give you permission. Well, you know, you're in public, so I can do that. That's how the law is here in the United States and many other places. And then they'd bring up, well, you know, my First Amendment rights. Well, what about my First Amendment rights, you know, as part of the newspaper? Like, you can't have it both ways. Well, you're you're 100% right. I agree with you there. But with your private... Ma- See, here's the thing. They're, these are private messages that he's photographing, but you don't know who's messages they are. So they're anonymous. It's like if you photograph people in public and you can't identify them, you don't need releases. If you can, you know, they're not going to come out and go, oh, that's me. Well, then you've added yourself like, well, no one else knew it was you. And if you're shooting the backs of people and you can't tell who they are, they're anonymous. Same thing with these messages. Is it right to do? I don't know. I mean, it's a it's a judgment call. It seems wrong. You're intruding on their privacy, but and it's very voyeuristic. But it's like this is like, you know, it's like with paparazzi, you know, photography, like everyone's against it or whatever. But I don't know. To me, it just seemed like it'd be a really fun job. You know, it's like because it's like the hunt, right? Like they might not like it for, you know, you hiding in their bushes and getting these shots. But if you can get it and it's not illegal, that sounds like a lot of fun. You know, and listen, you're it is a very, very thin tightrope that you're walking there. I agree with you. And you made a, a really interesting and important point. Yes, these are private text messages. But the the point that you made, these are actually, I don't want to say they're anonymized, but they are, you can't really tell who, there's no uh, defining uh, data, like there's no name or phone number, you know, full name, first name and last name. And there there was kind of a spinoff article also on Petapixel uh, where the the author, Frank Moltari, he says, Jeff Mermelstein is, a, is an effing anthropologist. And I get that. Uh, in a way, it, it, you know, I would think more of an anthropologist uh, taking photos of people living life, not so much anthropology, you know, study of society uh, through the way people text. Although maybe maybe it's true, Sharky. And, I, and I, here's the thing. If you're on the subway, if you're walking on the street, you're in public. And I really like the way you pointed it, where if I say, hey, you know, my my, you know, right to privacy but you have your First Amendment right uh, to, to be able, especially as a photojournalist, to, to be able to take photos in public places. One doesn't necessarily trump the other. Now, unfortunately, what this does is it, it that voyeurism, it, it does, I think, create a certain sense of, for me, I don't know, anxiety. Like if I'm out, you know, when I'm visiting my family, and I take the subway and I, I maybe I have to kind of be extra guarded and like huddle over my phone if I'm messaging. Because even if it's anonymized, I don't necessarily want my messages broadcast, even if no one ever knows. It's just that, that you know, in your mind, there's a little tick. It's like, oh, my, my privacy has been kind of invaded in a way. Uh, and, and I feel very conflicted about it, Sharky, because my primary kind of directive is as a photographer is being able to take photos and document life. But when I think of street photography and, you know, you can argue with me on this, but I think of, you know, the, 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 what people typically picture when they, when you say street photography of people 
in situations, either, you know, being stationary or in motion, but living life. I don't necessarily consider taking a photo of messages, street photography, because there's, it's, yes, it's a snapshot into the psyche of an individual or maybe a collective group of people. You know, the way people chat, the, you know, the, the, because you can see if uh, photos or, or GIFs were embedded the way people reply and converse with each other, there is certainly, there is a, a anthropological uh, spin to that. But I don't necessarily consider that street photography. What about you? Like I said, I think it probably is now. And it's not for us to decide. It's not for really anybody to decide. It's like art. It's, you know, you know it when you see it, I guess. I don't know. I think there's value in seeing how people communicate when they don't know that you're watching. I know that sounds bad. It's like, for instance, when I was a photojournalist, if I would approach somebody and say, okay, I want to take your picture, you know, you're at an arts and crafts festival, whatever, it was, it looked posed. It looked just, I don't know, they were uncomfortable. So I would use my 70 to 200 and I would shoot from, you know, a mile away, also known as about like 30 feet or so. And I would get true moments with people interacting with their kids and their spouses. And those were like much better photos. It's like with this, you're seeing how people communicate. Now, here's the problem, though. Not everyone's going to have the ethics that Jeff has, right? Jeff, (laughs) my name is Jeff. Some people are going to get that joke. Not everyone's going to have his ethics and only post the photos that don't reveal people's, you know, names and addresses and phone numbers and, you know, identifying information, etc. A lot of other people are going to. You know, it's the same idiots that are going to go trample across the Grand Prismatic Spring and whatever. Just because they can, they're going to do it. Because why not? Because they don't care. Yeah, you know, you bring up another good point in terms of the whole copycat mentality. People will see this. Uh, it's clearly getting notoriety. It was shared in Petapixel. Again, you know, Business Insider did a feature on on him and specifically on his text message photos. And you're right. The problem that I don't know if it's a problem, and I really am conflicted. I'm not, you know, it's not just kind of uh, contrived, but part of me is not outraged, but just a little pissed off. Like, I get, again, like you said, with a telephoto lens, taking a candid moment of people or a person doing something. When you eliminate the entire kind of corpus, the entire body, (laughs) the human, and all you're left with is is a screen with a text message and some fingers... To me, I just, I, I, to me, that's more of a, I don't know what the word is like. It's more scientific. Again, it's like anthropology. It's actually, it's like taking, if this was, if this were the 1800s and taking handwritten letters and, and you know, scanning them in and sharing them. So I see that as, as the same as this. It's not necessarily street photography or, or any, or any kind of photography for that matter, but it's more kind of documenting the way humans communicate with each other using the tools available back then, using the tools available today. So I, I, I kind of worry that we're conflating what he's doing with these text messages and street photography. Don't get me wrong. If you look up Jeff Romelstein and you look at like his book, he has a uh, book, uh, Sidewalk. Also, Jay Maisel, one of my favorite New York-based street photographers, kind of a consummate photographer's photographer. These are people who they, they understand and they, they know how to spot life happening and they know how to get the the photo in the best possible way you know waiting for that you know decisive moment so to me there's no decisive moment if the decisive moment is waiting for the right time before the person sends the send button for their reply and text message that to me is not necessarily very skillful photography 
and maybe that's my, maybe that's my point. Um, but I don't know. Again, you, I I defer to you here because I think you have more of a, a reason to defend this practice because yes you're out in public and you should be able to do what you have to do but it also comes with some you know journalistic ethics too like i knew when not to take the photo there was plenty of times where i could have got a great scandalous photo but we were a newspaper not a tabloid you know so you don't take the photo or you take the photo but no one sees it but you you know because it's like well okay i documented it just in case you just never know but you know like I I agree with you 1 million percent. It takes no skill or very little skill to take a picture of someone's screen and you could be firing away. You could be shooting video and pulling stills, whatever. Photographically, it's crap. It, it, I'm, I'm going to call it crap. Sorry, Jeff. It's crap. The stuff of the screens from a scientific standpoint, though, it's interesting. You know, like going back to either high school or college psychology, when your subject is aware of your presence their demeanor and the way they act change. If they're not aware of you, they act differently. If they are aware of you, they act differently. So, you know, someone might change the screen, you know, so you're getting the real, true, raw, what people are like. And I think that what he's doing, even though it's intrusive, it's invasive, it's a little odd, there's value in seeing how people communicate when others are not watching. There's value in that. Is it photography? technically but it's not there you go i think that's that is a great way to to end it it's a fair distinction and with that let's just kind of move on to our second story so this was interesting sharky and i know uh you know i don't know how what your thoughts are on artificial intelligence but i saw this uh, a few weeks ago and i i knew i wanted to talk about it with you on the show so huawei they make mobile phones and they're based out of china they are massive although they're not as big they're they they have a presence in the u.s especially since uh, i think google used huawei for one of their nexus phones uh, or pixel phone i can't remember but here's the thing they uh they launched this new phone called the p20 pro and we'll link to the specs in the show notes at no name photoshow.com it looks like a really crazy phone it's got three lenses uh, one of them is a 40 megapixel RGB uh, lens and sensor. Then there's an 8 megapixel telephoto. And then there's a 20 megapixel monochrome. So, you know, now we're moving the Sharky from two lenses to three lenses on the back of your mobile phone. Go figure. But here's the thing. They decided to start this con- this photo contest. And photo contests by themselves are nothing really big. You know, thousands of them happen every year. But they call theirs Spark a Renaissance Photo Challenge. And the little shtick is in the word renaissance, uh, the AI is capital in the middle of the word. So, <laughs> Sharky, <laughs> this, this I, I mean, I, I can't believe it. it's It's interesting, but it's also kind of concerning. So the, the, the kind of angle to this, to this contest is that uh, part of the contest in terms of the aesthetics and determining, you know, the judging of it, part of this contest is co-judged by Huawei's artificial intelligence on the phone. Uh, and then another part of it is judged by an actual human. And you can see, we'll link to the gallery. There are, there are photos where, you know, submissions and there's a little overlay that shows the score, the score that uh, the, the phone, the P20 Pro gave it. So let me ask you, Sharky, what are your thoughts here? First of all, let's talk about AI and photography. And then let's talk about AI and kind of like how it's judging aesthetics and kind of the merits of a good photo. 
So what, you know, do you have any thoughts on using an, a, a computer, a learning computer to edit your photos? Listen, AI is going to be a massive part of photography going forward. There's not going to be a time in human history from here on out that AI doesn't play a part. So that's important. No, it's not like you can be like, well, you know, the robots and stuff, that's not going to happen. The robots are here already. You know, like, there. have you seen what Boston <laughs> Dynamics is doing? I mean, if you want to be creeped out, they know how to open doors and hold them for the other spider-like crazy robots and everything. You know, it's just a matter of, you know, does it go full Skynet on us and kill us, right? But AI is great. I was invited to Adobe Max, like I was telling you a little bit ago, and I may or may not go. I think it's coming up in October, I think it is. Yeah. But I want to see the AI. I want to talk to the AI guys and, and, and gals. There's gals too, I'm sure. There has to be. and Because uh, they're an equal opportunity company over there at Adobe. The AI is amazing. The stuff that it's able to do and in our phones is crazy. We're, judging photo contests, okay. I mean, what's to say that AI is worse than a person? You know, everything's subjective, right? If every person sees things differently, why can't one of those people be AI? Why not? It might know better. I am with you here. I think that any person, if this is the same thing, I would say, give it another, a few more years, but this will be the same argument with where you kind of will see the, the line drawn in the sand between back then it would have, you know, 10 years ago to been the digital photographers versus the film photographers where the, the, the film photographers fists pounding in the ground, you know, just like, no, no. And you either evolve or die. And, you know, yes, now people shoot with film partly for a nostalgic quality, partly because, yes, there is a certain uh, aesthetic that can't really be mimicked with digital, although it's becoming, you know, less and less of the case. Same thing with AI. So, you know, I've, I've talked about this. I can't remember if I talked about it in a previous episode on the show or on a video I did. But speaking of Adobe and speaking of Lightroom, uh, you know, recently one of the last, I don't know which version they introduced. Uh, so Adobe has Sensei, which is their AI learning system. And they implemented uh, auto, you know, like auto correct uh, in Lightroom. And uh, at first, so before they implemented Sensei, you wouldn't ever catch me pressing the auto button because it was a, a predefined a set of parameters and it really didn't do anything very, very compelling. When Adobe built uh, when they tied Sensei to the auto, meaning when you click it, it actually sends the 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 data, the tonal data, the color data of the photo to the cloud, and then it 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 actually adjusts, uh, it scales or adapts the the settings based on the photo. When I did that and I saw the results, I was shocked to the point where that's like one of the first things I do now when I start on a photo is I click on auto, and the reason for that is it saves time. It doesn't make any stylistic changes. It doesn't add any split toning or any sharpening or any any of that. What it does is it just adjusts the, the tone curve, it adjusts some of the exposure values, and uh, it adjusts a little bit of the, the, the vibrance and saturation. It doesn't actually change the colors. And I have to tell you, without uh, any sort of exaggeration, I cannot remember a time where I hit the auto button and then I went to command Z to undo it. Every single time I apply it, I'm happy with the results. And that's because of the AI, the Sensei learning. And I will say this, Sharky, any company, any photo editing software company out there that doesn't take AI seriously, meaning they're just doing the same old thing, 
trying to do basic boring effects and aren't actually implementing some sort of AI, they will be legacy. They will be forgotten. They will be prehistoric. They're going to Kodak themselves. They are going to Kodak themselves. <laughs> I really like that, Sharky. You know, I, I look at um, Luminar by Skylum, and one of the things I love about that is the sunburst filter because that actually uses uh, machine learning, computer vision. Uh, so, it, you know, as opposed to most other companies that have sunburst filters where you, you apply the sunburst filter and it, it, if there's a tree, it'll put the sun in front of the tree. Like, that makes sense. No, with, with, with Luminar, it, can, it has edge detection and it'll, it'll adjust itself so that if you put the sun behind, it'll be behind the tree. It's really brilliant when you look at it. And so that's my take on it. But as far as a contest goes, Sharky, I'm, I'm very torn here. I'm very torn because it's one thing to use AI to help with editing a photo. It's another thing when you abdicate or you kind of give up the, especially in a contest when you're judging to me, I'm really torn here, Sharky. I'm really torn. I don't know. I, I, my, my knee jerk instinct is like, you shouldn't try to replace uh, this determining the aesthetic and technical qualities of a photo should still be done by a human. But at the same time, am I being hypocritical by saying, oh, what if it, can't a computer learn to, to judge that as well? So what do you think? Listen, my sensei auto corrects me all the time. You know, I couldn't remember if it was wax on or wax off, but now I know. <laughs> I know the difference, right? Oh, dad joke number one. Got that done. Oh, I host the Petapixel Photography Podcast, by the way. Halfway through the show. Plug done. Anyhow, it, it's, you know, you're going to have these theoretical photographers who all they do is they sit on the forums and and bitch and moan about, you know, what's photography and what's not. And who honestly, who cares? Who really cares? Is the end product beautiful or worthwhile or is it not? I don't care how you got there as long as you got there. That's all that matters. Right? That's all that should matter. You've got, you could name so many examples of things that we do in our workflow today that people thought was cheating before, you know? So why not? I do the same thing too. You know, I haven't shot as much lately because you, well, listen to TWIP 522 and you'll find out why. But <laughs> so, you know, but I always, especially in Luminar, hit the auto button, you know, and because I want to see first, I want to see how far it's come because I know what they're doing behind the scenes to make the auto button better before it would just go, okay, 20 on the sharpening, a little bit of contrast, whatever, like you said, all pre-baked stuff. And it was like, well, that just blew my highlights from here to, you know, Zimbabwe. So that didn't work. But now it takes everything into consideration because they look at literally millions of photographs that the, you know, the neural networks, their machine learning, the AI looks at those photographs, determines what's there first they know what's there they know what's a building you know buildings have different uh shapes that are kind of similar to each other and they know there's windows and doors and you know usually don't see a round window or round door most of the time so it knows what a bridge is it knows what a building it is it knows what a person is you know and so it figures that out and then it looks and sees you know they feed it good photos (laughs) i don't feed it crap photos you know because that would be pointless. And they determine what's a good photo and what's not based on that rule thirds, et cetera, et cetera. And when they're determining what to do to a photo by hitting the auto button, it has all of that under the hood already figured out. It knows in what situations to do this and in what situations to do that. It just doesn't do that to everything. 
And that's yeah. important. That's what AI is helping. Look at the, the devices we have coming out. The Arsenal was like the most backed, like three million plus dollars backed on Kickstarter. You know, that was that's that AI device that you can pop in your hot shoe and it'll help you do like everything. Again, people are going to say that's cheating. Who cares if it gets you there quicker? If, there's not going to be a time where we're all just taking amazing, just like award-winning photos because we press the button and the computer or the you know inside the camera figured it out for us. That's not going to happen. Yeah, I mean there are a lot of facets to this, the, different ways that you can look at it. So before, uh, you know, when we were talking about analog or film versus digital, or now more recently, uh, I guess you know camera handheld camera versus mobile phone camera. There was no question as to the, the the creative control on behalf of the photographer. Whether it's your, you know, you're using a film camera or a digital camera or a, or a mobile phone camera, the photographer is still responsible for pretty much everything about it. Now, although you could argue that those who set their cameras on auto or even aperture priority or, or shutter priority, you're kind of giving up control a little bit. But there never was, I don't think anyone ever really made that kind of like, uh, distinction. Whereas here with AI, you really are giving up control. And now the, again, where it's important is to see what control am I giving up? And I'm totally okay with giving up what I consider to be the kind of the, the grunt work when we're talking about photo editing and I'm specifically talking about photo editing. So I'm okay with the, getting the, the, the tone curve, getting my, my histogram uh, correct and just getting everything looking flat and good. That's all that the auto is really doing. I don't necessarily think that I would um, want to just give up the creative control. Although one can argue anyone who's ever applied a preset or a filter, you know, you go on, uh, on Instagram or you go in Lightroom, you know, you buy a Visco preset pack. You can argue that you're giving up creative control. You're essentially just clicking a button. I mean, it's like the happy meal of photo editing. You have just like this one click 99 cent dollar menu. And uh, there is, you, you didn't do anything. All you did was hovered your cursor or you tapped a, a little thumbnail on your phone. So for those who are kind of, you know, listening and they're starting to get all, they're shaking and the, the, the troll in them is coming out and they're getting all angry about the prospect of AI. Listen, odds are I'd be willing to bet that almost everyone who's listening has used a, a filter or a preset. And if in doing so, you didn't feel some sort of allergic reaction or sick to your stomach over it, then you should probably be okay with this as well. Uh, and no one's saying, and, and, I, and here's the thing, listen, I, I, I appreciate wanting to have control. I don't know that I, no, I, I do know. I would never be okay with having an AI, you know, let's say there's an, uh, uh, my, my, my uh, tripod and ball head and my camera have AI built in. 10 years from now where I just put the camera down and it just adjusts it swivels and rotates and all that stuff uh, for me. I don't think I'd be okay with that, you know, to get the optimal. I don't know. I know I would not be okay with that, but to help kind of, you know, one, if there's an AI to help me ensure that I get the proper exposure, let's say time is of the essence and I just need to get the right long exposure, you know, you know it's okay to get by with a little help from, from technology. And uh, I was going to go with the song there, but yeah. So, I don't know. I don't. I think that people who are going to freak out over AI, they're going to be. It's going to be the same or uh, the next generation of the digital versus film, that kind of stuff. Time is valuable, right? And people who listen to my show are going to recognize that little nod to my show from the FreshBooks ad. Anyhow, whatever gets you there quicker. 
I say, is okay. It really doesn't matter. I think it just people think too much about this stuff. I'm really critical. Part my my job is to be critical about the news items, right? Like whatever comes out, you know, I look and I go, okay, what what's the pain point? What's the failure point? What are they doing that's completely stupid? And I call them out on it. AI is wonderful. It really is. As long as you know you're making the decisions on where you're aiming your camera and you know you're deciding on some settings, etc. You know, what's it matter if like when you edit it takes you a little further down the road. It might be doing what you would do anyhow, but faster. And that's all that matters, I think. Now, before we move on, I want to address something that the, the audience has no idea just happened. And that's your, one of your Sony's just overheated on the video thing. What happened there? I don't know. I just turned it on and off. I don't know why the video just kind of stopped working, but yeah. <laughs> so when people say, oh, you know, my Sony doesn't overheat, Come on. They they do. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's the camera or it's the 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 box off to the side that uh, you know the camera's going from micro HDMI to HDMI and then into my computer via Thunderbolt 3. I'm not sure, but yeah, I saw the video signal stop and I was like, that's weird. And so I just toggled the power button and it's back. It threw up a message. I don't know if you saw it too, but it said thermal something or other, you know, oh, I didn't something's see that. too hot. Yeah, I wish I had screenshotted it. Oh, so it actually, literally said it's too hot. Okay. So it was it was your camera. Okay, I didn't see that. So that actually helps me troubleshoot. Which camera is it, by the way? It's an A six thousand. I I just that's like my dedicated, uh, you know, at my computer. Rather than using like a Logitech or the uh, the built in camera, the iMac, I get much better video quality if I'm ever doing a you know some sort of a screencast or something by recording from that. Well, you used to use your A seven R Mark two, and then I think your A seven R Mark three. Like me, I've got semi-permanently installed my old Sony A6000, and then I've got a Photo Deox uh, D-clicked adapter thingy to it, and a Nikon Nifty 50 on there. And so, uh, yeah, but that's interesting. Your Sony A6000, uh, granted, it's an old camera now, over like, you know, three years old or so, coming up on three years old, I think. It's, uh, we're not going to give Sony too much stick for that. But here's the thing. I I mentioned before the show how... Uh, so, you know, we installed central AC in this house like a few days ago, but there's no, there's no intake vent on the second floor, which is where our offices are. So it's, it's about 10 degrees warmer up here. Uh, but I don't, I didn't think it would be that hot for the camera to overheat. So that's something to keep in mind, but that is the first time that's ever happened. I've shot the a 6,000 in like 90 plus degree temperatures and it was just fine. You need to get one of those little laser things. I just got one on prime day on Amazon because it was like half off. And I was like, all right, I'll spend $10 on one of those. I've always wanted one and you could aim it at something where oh, the, like the thing. Yeah. It tells you what the temperature is. So you can aim it at your a 6,000 sensor and be like, wow, that's crazy. Yeah. I love those, uh, those reviews for like TVs and computers and stuff. And they, they do, uh, uh, like a, an inf- not an infrared, but like they do a thermal photo and they use the, that laser guided thing. So yeah. Anyhow, we were talking about the Huawei and AI stuff. Did we put a fine point on it? I think we did use whatever tools are going to get the job done for you. Unless you're doing some kind of, unless you're entering a photo in a contest that says you can't have used AI in the creation of it. Like, how are they going to know that? Etc. I think it's just, it's all good. It, the end result is what matters. As long as you're not lying to people, if they ask you a question, be like, yeah, I used, you know, whatever. And all I had to do was hit auto and bam, there it was. And thank you for the $5,000 you just paid me for this wonderful photo. Done. Yeah. 
Yeah. So let me uh, actually, before we, I do want to get your, I want to ask you a question. What are your thoughts? Let's say, all right. So we, we've, we, I think you and I are completely on the same page in terms of how AI can be used on a single photo, you know, editing the, the settings and stuff, you know, the, the certain, the basic settings, not necessarily the creative settings. Although again, I, I will argue anyone who's applied a preset or a filter, you really don't have a leg to stand on over here. But what are your thoughts? Let's say you AI enters into, now we're going to composite photography. So, you know, I think of like uh, Renee Robin or, uh, you know, uh, Ben Von Wong, people who are, you know, even Matt Kluskowski, these are, you know, people who have done a lot. And Nicole, Nicole Z, you know, with compositing. What are your thoughts of, let's say AI goes into that territory where you just feed it all your different, uh, you know, layers, the different elements, and AI does all takes care of all the masking and all the blending. So all you need to do is like position it, that you know that layer in the document. What are your thoughts on that? I haven't considered that until now, but I'm okay with it. Again, if it's art, if it's you know you're putting a photo online, right? Most people aren't printing. You're putting a photo online so people can enjoy it, or maybe you're making it available for sale or or whatever. As long as it's not purported to be news or purported to be reality, and you're you know doing some, you know, playing loose and fast with the truth and that kind of thing. What does it matter? It's like with that filter that makes the, you know, the sunburst come through the trees instead of emanating from the trees because, well, I don't want to live in that world where, where trees are emanating light. That's just, I don't know. That seems, that's the, that's the purple pill or something. I don't know what that is. That's just weird. That's like a Lord of the Rings kind of thing. Yeah. That's some craziness right there. We don't, I don't want that. But um, it's the same thing, right? That's compositing, essentially. They're putting a fake, a digital element into your photo via a filter. You can move around and see in real time what it, you know, it's doing before you'd have to wait like 10 hours for it to you know, render. We're talking like 10 years ago. What's wrong? It, it's fine. And there's going to be people that are like, no, that's not photography. You know, okay, so go back to your, you know, your wet plate, your daguerreotypes, because only photographers from a century plus ago are the true photographers. That's the real deal right there. Don't touch a computer. Don't do anything. Come on. People get so worked up about the stupidest things. This is going to be a Mac versus PC thing, a a Jew versus Christian. It's like people get a religion over this. It's so stupid. I agree. And it's, it, it, it is funny watching, you know, actually, you know, going on Reddit or going on uh, Twitter and seeing how visceral, of a reaction some of these things uh elicit or going into the comment section of any of these articles forget it uh i'm with you it's just like who who cares who i mean does it doesn't i don't see you as any less of a photographer if for me i can tell you i love compositing i absolutely cannot stand the process of you know uh editing or or masking out certain elements that i want to use if i can use if there was technology that can help me save me time. It's not like I want uh, the you know AI to, to choose the different elements in my photo. But if I say, hey, I want the airplane out of this photo. I want the birds out of this photo. I want the, the, the person out of this photo with their hair. God, are you kidding? I mean, and again, let's go back. Let's talk about kind of hypocrisy here to a degree. People who are going to start getting like, you know, they're, they're lighting their, 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 uh, their pitchforks, you know, they're getting ready. For those who do composite, who are going to, you know, who want to stab me for saying I'm okay with letting a computer or AI select, uh, meaning mask out subjects. 
What about those of you who use magnetic lassos or content aware selection? You know, let's let's call a spade a spade here. I'm happy you said that and that it was exactly the point that I was going to make. 24 years ago, I created a parenting magazine in Phoenix and you know, I was doing early on I was doing everything, right? Because you know, you're a small business, you're doing all this stuff yourself. And so when I had to knock things out of a background, I had to use, you know, whatever Photoshop version was back then, who knows what it was in 1994. And you'd have to use the pen tool and you would have to set points around it and that's how you popped something out of the background. Now you've got the magnetic lasso tool, you've got, you know, does everything that you're getting from Adobe, they're making the software. They think it's okay, you know, as they make their billions of dollars, right? right? So <laughs> So, hey, they they're giving you reasons to Come on. I mean, if you're paying 10 bucks a month for the Photoshop Lightroom bundle or whatever it is now, or 50 something like we are now since it's gone up because Adobe doesn't have enough money, seriously. So if they're putting these things in there that you're going, ooh, that's a great feature. That's why I'm going to keep my subscription going. Or in the past, ooh, that's why I'm going to buy you know the latest uh, Adobe Creative Cloud or Adobe Creative Bundle, whatever, Creative Suite. You're buying it for a reason. Use it and don't feel bad about it. Because everyone else is. It's okay. You can use that automatic whatever button. Just go ahead and press it. Do it right now. I'm, I'm with you. So I think we put a fine point on it. Don't you think? Yes, for sure. Now, Brian, were you going to ask me something? I was, Sharky. It's like, you know what I'm about to say? Yeah, I want to know what's on your gear shelf. What's on my gear shelf? Well, let's say suspend disbelief. I don't keep it on my gear shelf. I keep it in whatever bag I have with me because everyone, just like with gaffer tape, which was one of my early picks, such a generic photography pick. But listen, if you meet me in person, I will have my gaffer tape with me, even if I'm not shooting. And I'll have my Insta360 Nano because why not? I've got those pockets available to me. Everyone should have these in their bag. It's by Optech USA, who, you know, they were the go-to company back in the day that made all kinds of accessories. Now everyone makes accessories. They're, you know, like everyone else. They make this thing called the rain sleeve. And back when I was a photojournalist, I would have, you know, I've got my, the Think Tank uh, modular belt system, which I don't wear much anymore. If I'm shooting a, a sporting event, I'll do that. But I'm not wearing that when I'm going to the state capitol and, and doing stuff because you look dorky. But I would have a pouch that would have just rain gear in it, not reindeer. You can't fit reindeer in even their largest pouch, just saying, but rain gear. So I would have a clear poncho kind of thing. It was like a buck at a dollar store or whatever, or Walmart. And I'd also have, back in the early days, I would have a clear plastic bag and some rubber bands. That's how most photojournalists would protect their stuff from rain gear, not reindeer. I don't know how you protect your stuff from reindeer. Probably don't bring it anywhere near them. So what you want to do is you want to protect your gear. And in the past, I've told you about how uh, Think Tank Photo has their hydrophobia stuff, which is expensive, but lasts forever. And they're a great company. They'll take, you know, fix it and stuff as they need to. And then I also picked uh, Lens uh, Coats, whatever their product was. It was a rain protection thing. They're like about 100 bucks each. Peak Design has one. You get them in different sizes, etc. Now, as great as the plastic bag is, it's not ideal. So Optech USA makes this rain sleeve. It's a plastic bag that's in the shape of like a 70 to 200. It'll fit a 70 to 200. They might make them for bigger size lenses. I don't know. And your camera and, you know, a decent portion of your forearms. 
and it's got a little cutout in the back so you can you know put your viewfinder and you know the rubber part there and stuff and you're good to go you could shoot and you're probably asterisk gonna keep your gear okay it's got a drawstring in the front so you can draw string it on your uh you know your lens hood which you definitely should use when it's raining you know keep all that rain away from your lens obviously and at seven dollars basically for two of these why would you not have these with you all the time when you shoot i dig it i dig it it doesn't take up a lot of room you can fold it up you're not gonna you know poke a hole in it or whatever stick it somewhere in one of your zipper pockets where it's protected. And then you've always got rain protection with you because these other items that are a hundred bucks, whatever, take up considerably more space because they're made of a lot of fabric and they've got all kinds of cuffs and this and that. So Brian, what is on your gear shelf? Well, Sharky. Um, so what's on my gear shelf is something that actually I, I have a few of, and I, I, I love them because now that I just kind of moved, I had to pack all of, uh, you know, with photography, you have the big stuff. You got your cameras and your lenses and tripods and stuff. But there are also a ton of little things, even like filters and just little things. And so um, I have these. My, my pick is by Shimoda, uh, and it's their accessory pouches. And they come in three different sizes. And I, the thing I love about them, it's it, it's it's an accessory pouch. Like, you know, let's not, you know, let's not go crazy here. Uh, but what I love is that it has a section of it that has kind of like a clear uh surface so you can see what's in the pouch and that to me is super helpful when i'm if i'm if i use these pouches when i'm on a shoot traveling i want to be able to see which accessory pouch has what and there's a lot of different pockets you know there's zippered pockets um, there's some mesh pockets and it's actually quite versatile and for me uh, the thing i love about them specifically is the color so the ones that i have are these like kind of like a bright blue it's easy to see in any bag that you have. Most bags are just kind of like really dark with gray. So having a nice little color to it uh, makes it easy to pick up. But uh, I, I, the small one, I, tr- I have the small one. That's what I travel with for the most part. I put an external hard drive in there for backup purposes and then all of my different uh, cables uh, and my USB hub. And it's perfect. And it fits in every bag I have. And then for the larger things, like if I want to take a bunch of uh, filters and filter holders, I'll just use a medium or large. So um, you know, I, I love them. I think as far as accessory bags go, they're some of the most functional that I've seen. I agree. I've got those as well. Shimoda was one of our advertisers when they were launching the uh, the bags. I've got the 40L. You've got, I think, a 40L and a 60L or whatever yep. it is. And aren't you a Shimoda ambassador? I can't remember. Yeah, I'm a member of, of Shimoda's pro team. Uh, and, uh, you know, for me, I do absolutely. I'm proud to be a member. I, I I think I had I used one of their bags as a pick, and I think you might have two. Uh, back in the day, if I remember correctly, I, I don't know, but I remember you talked about it. And so it, it's uh as far as adventure bags, I, I I have not seen a better one. I agree. And listen, I don't do a lot of you know crazy shooting in Iceland and other places you go to, but this is the most comfortable bag of this type i've you know tried on other ones before obviously camera stores and such this is the most comfortable bag i think i've ever worn it's just i don't know it just fits great ian and the crew over there just do a wonderful job so i've got those other those pouches like you said i've got their inserts they're great my wife loves them for putting makeup (laughs) they're great if you want to put makeup and stuff in them or whatever it's just great for when you open your bag and you're like all right where's my stuff? You got a pack for this, a pack for that. You can see it. It's wonderful. It's not ridiculously expensive. They're unbelievably well-made. 
And uh, yeah, disclosure, you and I both have connections to them, but still, it, just go try this stuff yourself and you will be impressed. They're top notch. They're great. Yep. Awesome. What also was great, Brian, is this episode. I think so, if I do say so myself. What do you say? Yes, it was a good one. Definitely. They're all good ones. They're all True. equal. They're all tens. We're, we're knocking them out of the park every darn episode. We're trying. <laughs> all right. Anyhow, before we go, do you want to tell people where they can find you, where they can find us? You make filters. You mentioned filters. Matias.com. I'm going to give you a plug. And NicoleZ.com. You guys have filters and such. You didn't mention it, but I will. Anyhow, go ahead and, and tell them where they can find you and us. Well, you can find me at matias.com, M-A-T-I-A-S-H.com. And yes, I do sell preset packs and uh, eBooks and texture packs and whatnot. Uh, then uh, on social, I'm at Brian Matias, B-R-I-A-N-M-A-T-I-A-S-H. And uh, for our show, Sharky, uh, it's nonamephotoshow.com. I highly recommend if you want to get kind of more context into what we talked about in this episode and every episode, you can go there to uh, find our show notes and then we're at No Name Photo Show on all the socials. Uh, Sharky, what about you? I host the Petapixel Photography Podcast, as I mentioned halfway through the show, a little late. And that's at petapixel.com slash podcast. You can type in Petapixel, P-E-T-A-P-I-X-E-L in your favorite podcatcher. Or like I said, go online. You can find me at Lens Shark, not Lens Shark. Again, I don't know that guy. Lens Shark on all the socials, probably even Vero. Who knows? I don't go to Vero anymore. Seems like most people don't and uh, throwing shade on them. I'm sure they're great still, but I don't use them. And uh, what else? That's about it. I don't know. Go to lenshark.com slash deals for all my offer codes. You can save 20% here and there and everywhere. And uh, well, not everywhere, just here and there. I want to be legal. Everywhere would be a lie. (laughs) So (laughs) some people don't care. I do. We have ethics. So Brian, what do you say we clap it out? Let's do it. All right, here we go. One. Two, we'll fix it in post. Maybe. Love you, brother. Love you, too. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the No Name Photo Show. Sharky and I would be thrilled if you would subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using and tell a friend. So how about we do this again in the next episode? Yeah, let's do that. Mm-hmm.